Praise the Lord. We're going to continue with this subject on surrender. Uh, last week, we, we talked about what is surrender. We, we, uh, we sort of defined it, and uh, we talked about how surrender is a military term, which simply means to give up all rights to the conqueror, but literally it means to surrender, uh, to, to give up all, 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 or to relinquish possession or control. When it comes to surrendering our lives to God, we are relinquishing control over everything. That is our, our vision, our plan, our ideas, our, our possessions, our finances, even our spouse, our children, everything. And um, we talked about how uh, surrendering is, is, a, is a journey. And it's also a choice. And every day we're faced with a decision whether to surrender to God or to surrender to something else. And, it's, and, you know, and I have to agree with you that it is a challenge for everyone. But all but the benefits of surrendering your life. And so that's what we're going to continue to talk about tonight. So we talked about what is surrender. We talked about a prime example of Jesus when he came to this earth. The Bible says that he came not to do his own will, but to do the will of the Father. He also said that in, uh, one of the greatest examples of submission and surrender was when he was at the Garden of Gethsemane. Praying this prayer, Lord, if, if it be your will, Lord, if, if, if it is possible to pass this cup from me, the cup of suffering, then please do so. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. In other words, what, God is, what, what uh, Jesus was simply saying was this, Lord, if it's in your best interest to pass this cup of suffering from me, then please do so. But Lord, if it fulfills your purpose for me to go to the cross, then that's what I want to do. That was the attitude that Jesus had. And so we talked about that. We also talked about why do we need to surrender? Why, what's, what, it's, what is it necessary for us to surrender everything? Lord, everything? Everything. Well, we mentioned two things. One is because we belong to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 and 20 says that, we, that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we are not our own because we were bought with a price. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18 and 19, Peter said that we were not purchased with corruptible things like silver and gold, but we were purchased by the costly, precious blood of Jesus. So because of the price that was paid for us, we lost ownership, and we are now under the ownership of God. We don't own ourselves, and we don't belong to ourselves. So if we belong to him, therefore he has full rights and full custody over every area of our lives. So that's one of the reasons why we must surrender. Another reason why we, uh, we talked about uh, why we should surrender is it takes the pressure off of us to try to make ourselves somebody that we think we ought to be, and allowing God to make us to become who he wants us to be. I think one of the problems that we face is that we get in God's way and trying to become somebody we're not, rather than just letting God do what he does best and making us be who he wants us to be. You know, it's like the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 64 and verse 8, where, he, where the children of Israel says, well, we are clay and you are the potter. So we have to be like clay in the potter's hand to allow him to shape us and mold us and remake us to become everything that he calls us to be. And so it's like a sculptor 
sculpting and chipping away, and you know, it requires a hammer and a chisel, and you're chipping away. And I like what Michelangelo says when he created this masterpiece, this angel of Michelangelo, and he was asked this question, how in the world did you make such a, uh, a wonderful piece of artwork? What, what is your secret? And it was quite simple. Michelangelo says, I just, what I do is I chip away and remove everything that doesn't look like an angel. And that was it. And that's what God wants to do with us. He wants to chip away everything that doesn't look like Jesus until the final result is the image of Jesus. That's his goal. That's what he wants us to be. So that's another reason why we need to surrender to him because it takes the pressure off of, off of us to try to become somebody that we're supposed to be or what we think we ought to be and allowing him to be everything that he wants us to be. And you know, the greatest news about surrendering is to God is that it is not left up to us to become what he wants us to be. It's left up to him. And boy, I tell you, that, that's, that removes a huge pressure off my shoulders, knowing that God is at work doing that rather than me doing it myself. And let me tell you, if it was left up to us, we'd do a terrible job. Would you agree? Okay, some of you don't agree with that. So we're going to continue. We left off there, so we're going to continue from that point on. So the third thing we're going to cover tonight as to why we should surrender is that God demands total surrender of us. It is expected of us. So if you have your Bibles with you, go to Romans chapter 6. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 6. If you put it up in the screen. Beginning of verse 11. says this. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. What Paul simply saying is this, that we are to yield our members, which is our bodies, for, for right living. The only way that God's going to demonstrate his holiness and his righteousness is through our bodies. Our bodies are his vehicle by which he works and moves. And the Bible says that we are to yield our bodies into his hands. Now, if we don't yield our bodies as instruments of, unrighteous, of righteousness, I should say, then we leave ourselves vulnerable for our bodies to be used for unrighteousness. So it's important that we yield ourselves and present ourselves unto God as instruments for his use. Paul says in Romans 12, 1, that we have to present our bodies as living sacrifices. How? You know, in the Old Testament, you just couldn't bring any lamb to the sacrifice or to the altar for sacrifice. In the same way that we are not to bring any life into the altar for the sacrifice. Because he says, we yield our, uh, uh, he says to present our bodies as living sacrifice. How? Holy and acceptable unto God. The word holy means to be set apart or to be distinct. It's similar to the word uh, sanctification. Uh, it, it, in other words, to be set apart. So what, let's take a, let me use this analogy. When I talk about holiness in, in the Old Testament, of course, in the book of Leviticus, it's the book of holiness. And, uh, and it's a lot of list of, of, of rules and, and do's and don'ts. And, but holiness is about being set apart, being distinct, being different, being separate from everything. So, Let's take dishes, for instance. Everyone has dishes at home. We all have dishes at home, right? 
Or are you eating at paper plates? What's, what's the story here? <laughs> dishes, right? Some of you may have dishes in the sink as we speak right now. Those are the profane dishes. Those are dishes that are unclean. Those are dishes that you can't use over again. You can't just take it out of the sink and put another set of meals on there. No, those are unclean. Then you have your common dishes. Those are the dishes that are in your cupboard. Those are your regular dishes that you use every day. You know, in the morning, for breakfast, at lunch, and dinner. Then you have your special dishes. These are your holy dishes. These are dishes that you only use on special occasion. These are the only dishes that is in, has its own room, encased in its own glass, beautifully displayed. But it's only to be used for special occasion. That's what holiness is. So when we are to present our bodies as living sacrifice, it's for the purpose of, use, of being used for only God's use, for a unique purpose. That's our whole purpose in life, is to be separated and to be set apart for God's use, and nothing else and nobody else. So that's why it's important that we are to surrender to him, because we are meat for the master's use. We are vessels that God wants to use for his glory and for his honor. So it's imperative that we surrender our lives so he can fulfill his glory and his purpose and his will through this special dish. Look at yourself and say, I'm a special dish. dish. Praise you. Yes, you are. Praise the Lord. So Paul understood this concept. In Galatians chapter 2, why don't we go there? Galatians chapter 2. And in verse 20, very familiar passage of Scripture. Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, what Paul was simply saying is this, I gave up me to get more of him. He says, it costs my life so that I can gain his life. That's all Paul was saying. And you see, that's where our attitude should be. Is that whatever, and let me just say this, surrender or to surrender is going to cost you something. I'll say that again. To surrender will cost you something. That's why so many of us struggle with, with surrendering. But Paul is saying that to, he lived for God because Christ lived in him. So therefore, he no longer lived. He died. So the self-righteous and the self-centeredness of, of Saul is no longer there. He died. What he, it, Saul used to be in charge, but he relinquished charge over to someone else, which is Christ. So that's what, and that's what we need to do every day of our lives. That's why I say that surrender is a journey. It's not something that you can master in one day or in one week, but it's a lifetime journey. Paul says, I die daily. Every day. It's a daily dilemma that we face. Surrender has not occurred until a sacrifice has been included. That's why Paul says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Every day of our lives we say, Lord, I present myself as a living sacrifice. Lord, use me as you will. That's our, that should be our prayer every morning. And then be prepared for what God has. Amen. The fourth thing, the fourth reason why we are to surrender 
is that surrendering is a requisite for becoming a true follower of Christ. Go to Luke chapter 9. Beginning in verse 57. <clears throat> Luke chapter 9. In verse 57 says this. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to, to him, meaning Jesus, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And then Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now it's interesting that when this person came to Jesus and said, Lord, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus responds that way by saying, foxes have holes, birds have nests. What was he saying? Jesus was simply saying this, if you want to follow me, it's going to cost you something. If you follow me, you've got to be willing to pay the price. Then he goes on in verse 50. Then he said to another, follow me. But the person says, but Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now it's interesting how the man says, let me first go and bury my father. It's interesting how Pastor John has been teaching us on first things first getting our priorities in order, putting God first. Here, he, this man had an opportunity to preach the gospel, but he wanted to take care of other things first. His priorities were not in order. Then he goes on to say in verse 60, Jesus, uh, in verse 61, and then another said to Jesus, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. That led to Jesus making this last statement in verse 62. No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Listen, saints, Christianity is everything or nothing. Those who are not willing to sacrifice everything for the things of God is really willing to sacrifice nothing. Go to Matthew chapter 16. The Christian life is described in the Bible as dying to self and to the world. In Matthew 16, how many of you know Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Pastor John often refers to him a lot. He's the one that wrote the book, Cost of Discipleship. And he was a pastor and theologian back in the time when Adolf Hitler was reigning and ruling. And he made this statement. He says, when Jesus bids a man to follow him, he bids him to come and die. In Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus said this to his disciples. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, the word deny in the Greek means to disown. He says, disown yourself. The Amplified Version reads it like this, to disregard, to lose sight of, or to forget himself and his own interest, and then follow me. Christianity is about dying to self. Surrendering is about being dead, and then be alive in Christ. Christianity is everything or nothing. The fifth reason why we are to surrender to God is that God has plans that requires our surrendering. Go to Jeremiah 29, very uh, familiar uh, passage of Scripture. Jeremiah chapter 29, and in verse 11, it says this, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, 
or I know the plans or the purpose that I think towards you or devise towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts or plans of purpose of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope, what other translation says, an expected end. Now, it's interesting what it says here that God has plans and purposes for our lives. He says, thoughts or plans and purposes of peace. Now, the word peace in the Hebrew is shalom. It's an all-inclusive word because it simply means happiness, prosperity, good health, welfare, safety, favor. And what Paul is, I mean, what God is saying here is this. My plans and my purpose is for you to have peace, happiness, prosperity, welfare, good health, favor, safety, and not of evil. And so that you may have an expected end. Now go to Proverbs chapter 19. You know, there's nothing wrong with making plans. It's good that we make plans. As a matter of fact, you can actually hire somebody to come to your house for a fee to sit down and plan out your life. One-year plan, five-year plans, and ten-year plans. Nothing wrong with that, but here's the problem. When you make plans apart from God, then you're going to run into some issues. Whenever you sit down and make a plan, you make sure that God is involved. Because otherwise, you can just mess up the plans and just mess up everything up and mess up everything that God wants to do. Look at what Proverbs 19, verse 21 says. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, it is the Lord's counsel or the Lord's purpose that will prevail or will stand. It's interesting that in the Bible, there are many examples where people would make plans but it always, always, always in the end, it's God's purpose that always prevails. A good example is uh, Saul. Go to Acts chapter 9. You know Saul. He's now named Paul. But before he was Paul, he was Saul. In Acts chapter 9, in beginning verse 1, it says, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to, to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he, he found any who were of the way or any Christians or believers, whether men or women, that he might find them, bring them bound to Jerusalem. That was his plan, was to go to, to Damascus with the authorized paper in his hand to go in every home and find every Christian there and bring them back to Jerusalem bound. But on the way to Damascus, something happened. Verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in verse 5 says, who are you, Lord, Saul says. Then the Lord says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So, verse 6, he trembling and astonished, and he said, Lord, what would you have me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. It's interesting. Paul, or Saul, was so bent on fulfilling his plan. This man was very thorough. This man went even to the top to get authorization to go into Damascus and arrest these people. But here's what I've learned about God. Anytime, well, what he does is this. He has a tendency to mess up your plans 
interrupt your plans to get you to a place of surrender so that he can get you back on track and get a part of his plan. And that's what I find with God, that whenever we try to make a plan, I remember making a plan outside of God's will. Guess how that worked out? (laughs) Not so good. But God had a way of interrupting our plans to get us to a place of surrender in the same way that he did with Saul. And bring him back to a place to get him uh, to be a part of, uh, of God's plan. Listen, God wants us to be a part of his program. But every once in a while, we tend to wander off his program. And God has to interrupt your life, interrupt your plan, and interrupt your journey to get you to a place of surrender, to get you back on track, and get you back in the program so he can continue to fulfill his purpose in your life. A good example is Lucifer. Lucifer had a plan. In uh, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 through 14, his plan was to ascend unto heaven, to raise his throne above the stars of God and to be like the Most High. How did that work for him? The Bible says that Jesus himself said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Bam. God has a way of interrupting plans. It has nothing to do with his will. He has a way of coming in and interrupt. And you know what? I don't mind the interruption. I may be frustrated. I may get angry. But you know what? It's for my good because God is trying to get me back in his program and get back in the, uh, as part of the plan. You ever try playing a sport, a team sport? It's very hard to play a team sport when you're not a part of the plan. And you, let's take football, for instance. You're lining up. There's 11 guys on one, on one side, 11 guys on the other side. But... You happen to be in there, and they have a, a, a particular plan to get the ball across to the 10-yard line or whatever. But here you are over here looking up there and waving everybody and waving to the fans. Everybody's lined up, and you're just waving at everybody. Would you say that that person's part of the program? No, that's part, he's part of his own program. But God has a way of snatching you and getting you back. I said, let's get with the program here. Because God has a plan. But it requires our surrendering in order for him to fulfill that plan in our lives. So that's one of the reasons. So those are five reasons why it is important that we have to surrender unto God. Of course, there are many more reasons, but we just don't have time to get into that. Let's talk about why is it so difficult for us to surrender? How many of you would honestly say before God that it is difficult to surrender your life every day? Okay. I'm going to pray for y'all. We learn that surrender is to relinquish all control before God or to God. We learn what it means to surrender. We also know that surrendering is not easy. We can all agree that it's not easy. We also know it's a journey and it's a choice. I don't know what it is that God's requiring of you. Perhaps maybe that you're involved in a relationship that you shouldn't be involved in. Perhaps maybe that you're involved in something that you shouldn't be involved in. Perhaps maybe you're so caught up in your career that you spend more time in your career and less time with everything else. Maybe you're just afraid to surrender because you're afraid that if you do, you might get shortchanged and in the end end up with nothing. But whatever it is, whatever it is that God is wrestling, whatever it is that you're wrestling with God with, whatever God is trying to strip you from, 
I guarantee you, listen, God is not trying to shortchange you. God will not leave you high and dry. God wants to get you back on the program. God has something far better for you, but if he can get your attention and get you to completely surrender to him, he can fulfill that plan. He can fulfill that purpose. So let it go. Whatever it is, let it go. Go to Matthew chapter 13. In verse 44, it says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasures hidden in the field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, what I want you to notice here is this. This man found treasure in this field. But he couldn't just claim that field. He had to purchase that field in order to claim the treasure. So the Bible says that he sold everything. Now, and what I also want you to notice is this. Everything that he sold, he didn't have a problem with. He didn't struggle. He didn't wrestle with it. He didn't have a hard time doing that. As a matter of fact, Jesus says he did it with great joy. Now, the question is, how can he do that? How can he take everything he owns and sell it just for this piece of property? Well, the, here's the answer. It's because he sees not just the field, but the treasure that's in the field. So he knows that that treasure is worth something. So he's willing to give up everything because he knows that whatever that, that the, the cost or the, the value of that field will compensate for everything that he had lost. Now, back to us. Why is it so hard for us to surrender? Why is it such a struggle? Well, here's why. Because what we see is simply a vacant lot. We don't see the treasures. And let me, let me take you back, first of all, before I get to that point. When this gentleman sold everything, you wonder, how could he do that? How could he sell everything? Let's say, for instance, that the, the field cost $5,000. Okay. So he needed to come up with $5,000 in order to purchase that field. So he needed to find something of value that he owned in order to sell it off and get that money. So he decided to sell his car. Let's say the car was $3,500. Okay? He's still short. So I said, okay, I need to sell something else. Okay, you know what? I'm going to sell my tool collection. So he sells that for $800. That's still not enough. So I said, okay, I need to sell something else. Oh, you know what? I'll sell my stereo. Top of the line stereo system. I'll sell that. $500. Now, he probably could have gotten more for that, but you know what? He, he had to sell it. $500. So he still was short. He was $200 short. So he sold his baseball cards his baseball collection, which was worth $200. Everything that was of value to him, he sold. But he didn't have a problem with that because he knew that the field was worth something. And everything that he sold, everything that he gave up, God, he knew that God would compensate for everything that he lost. The problem with us is that we don't see value in the field. We just see a vacant lot. So why would we want to sell everything or give up everything for something that's not worth anything? For something that we're not going to get a return? And see, that's our attitude. And so it would be very hard to give up things. It would be very hard to sell everything. Here's what the problem is. This is our problem. Many of us don't see Jesus, or I should say many of us don't believe that Jesus is that all-satisfying treasure 
worth surrendering, worth giving up everything. That's where many of us are. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not saved. That doesn't mean that we don't love Jesus. It's just that we're not willing to raise up our relationship or raise up the level of our relationship with the Lord Jesus because it costs too much. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Listen to what Paul says in the New Living Translation. This is what I love about Paul. He, he got it. In verse 8, he says, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He said, For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all garbage so that I could gain Christ. Paul considered Christ far more valuable than everything that he, that, that he knew in life. See, we don't see the treasure that is in Jesus, so we're not willing to give up or surrender everything because it costs us too much. Our constant struggle to surrender means that there's something else that we want more than Jesus Christ. Go to Psalm 73. Our attitude should be like the psalmist in 73, verse 25. It says, Whom have I in heaven but you, O Lord? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. That's where we need to be. When you invest everything in Jesus, you lose nothing, but you gain much. So one of the reasons why we struggle so much is we don't find, we don't believe that Jesus is the all-satisfying treasure who's worth giving up everything. The second reason why we, have, we struggle with surrender is that we lack trust. Go to Isaiah chapter 31. Isaiah 31, beginning in verse 1. Here's this, we have a story where the children of Israel were facing a dilemma where the Assyrians were about to attack them and they were in no position to fight against this, this very mighty army. So what they did was they sought alliance with Egypt because Egypt had all of these horses and all of these chariots and all of these men and said, these guys we can hook up with because they can help us defeat the Assyrians. But look at what God says in verse 1 in chapter 30 of Isaiah. What sorrow awaits my rebellious children, says the Lord. You make plans that are contrary to mine. You make alliances not directed by my spirit. And I'm reading that from the New Living Translation, by the way. Thus piling up your sins, verse 2. For without consulting me, you have gone down to Egypt for help. You have put your trust in Pharaoh's protection. You have tried to hide in his shade. But by trusting Pharaoh, you will be humiliated. And by depending on him you'll be disgraced. The children of Israel lacked trust in God. They sought their alliance with the Egyptians for strength, for protection, and to help defeat the Assyrians. When rather all they needed to do was turn to God, who is their protection, who is their refuge, who is their high tower, who is their shield and buckler. But because they trusted in other things, 
the Bible says they will be greatly disappointed and humiliated. Anytime you trust in everything other than God, you can be sure that it's, that's not going to work. You want to trust in a sure thing, trust in God. Because he can assure you protection. He can assure you with solutions to every problem. But this is a very stark uh, uh, a tragedy that the children of Israel, who had such a relationship with God and had such a history with God, but yet continuously fall and make the same mistake by trusting in other things rather than God himself. The reason why so many of us have trust issues with Christ is because there's something else we are trusting more than Jesus to satisfy us. And that could be money, that could be career, that could be popularity, that could be prestige, that can be possession, that can be entertainment, whatever it is. You trust that more than Christ. And this is where we get into a problem. None of these things can be trusted because they don't provide any kind of assurance, they don't provide any kind of security, they don't provide much of anything. Go to Proverbs chapter 3. If we're going to trust in someone, trust in a sure thing. Trust God. Proverbs chapter 3. In verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. It was a story that I was uh, listening to by a pastor who was on his way to a city uh, for a speaking engagement. So he, uh, he spoke with the host pastor, got the directions, and his plan was to fly to the city, rent a car from the airport, and drive to that, to that town and to that church. Now, he had to be there for 7 o'clock that evening. So he was driving there, he got on the highway, got off the exit he was supposed to get off, get to the set of lights and made this turn and began to drive into the city. But as he was driving, he noticed that, man, that's like, it was a residential area. He was driving on and on, he says, hmm, this can't be it. So he doubled back, stops at a gas station, he says, listen, do you know where so-and-so church is? I said, oh yeah, just go out the parking lot, take a left, go straight up that road and take a right. So okay. So he gets into his car, pulls out of the parking lot, takes his left, goes straight, and takes that first right, and he's driving and driving. All of a sudden, he's like, fields, farmlands. I said, this isn't right. Unless the pastor's Dr. Doolittle, this is not right. <laughs> so he stops, and he turns around, and he drives back into the city, and he saw somebody, pulls over, and says, hey, listen, do you know where such and such church is? And the person said, yeah, yeah, it's right over here. Take a right, and then take a left, and then take another right. Okay. He got in his car, took a left, take a right, took a left, ended up in housing projects. I said, all right, so he decided, okay, he's going to pull over, stop, reach over to the passenger side and got the paper with the directions, with the words of the pastor, looked at it and says, okay, get on Highway 95, I did that. Get on Exit 5, I did that. Get to the set of lights and take a left. Oops, I was supposed to take a right. So <laughs> what he learned was this. Instead of trusting in the words of the pastor who gave him the direction, the clear direction, he leaned to his own understanding, and it got him lost. The worst part about that is, is that he leaned to the understanding of two other people that got him even more lost. <laughs> what does that say? 
the problem here is that we tend to rely on or depend on or lean on to other people, ourselves, the media, the environment, everything else but God. And when we don't rely or lean our understanding to everything but God, the only thing that's left is to get lost. And if we try to rely on our friends and the media and everything else, it's going to get us more lost. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Don't lean to your own intentions. Listen, I know you're smart, but you're not that smart. <laughs> Jeremiah 17, 7 says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope, his security, his assurance, his confidence is in the Lord. Don't be Proverbs 28, 26. Would you put that up, please? He who trusts in his own heart is a what? Fool. fool. Do not be a fool. Don't trust in your own understanding. Trust in God. Now, with the time that we have left, let's talk about the benefits of surrender. Now, again, we, there are many, many benefits to surrendering to God. But we don't, just don't have time to get into all of it. But many Christians wonder why their Christian life is not working the way it's supposed to. Why things are not falling into place in their lives as God promised them. And one of the primary keys of experiencing the realities of God in our lives is simply knowing the password. Now, everyone here must have a computer or a laptop or an iPhone or an iPad with a password. In order to get into the computer or into the whatever device you have, and you have to have a password. You type in the password, then you gain access to all the wonderful features that that device provides. Now, you can own a computer, you can own an iPad or whatever device you own, but if you don't have the password, you can't enjoy all of the benefits or you can't even maximize all, everything that device was designed to provide. Wouldn't you agree? So the access is the key, or gaining access is the key, but you have to have a password. And the password is what we've been talking about all night, surrender. Surrender is the key to gain access to everything that God has, everything that God provides. It is the key to maximizing everything that God has to offer us. But if we don't have the password, then we can't gain access to everything he provides us with. And that's one of the wonderful things about God, because the Bible says he gives us all things to enjoy. He gives us all things to enjoy. But if you don't have that password, you don't have access to those things to enjoy. Amen. So, you know, we can be born again on our way to heaven and yet not experience the fullness of everything that God has because of this password. Go with me to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, 
Verse 29 says this. This is one of the most pivotal verses that I ever had to rely on in a very critical moment of my life. This verse has helped me make some very important decisions that helped me to get over the hump in that particular time of my life. And it says this, verse 29, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Now in Mark chapter 10 and verse 30 says this, that we will receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brethren, and sisters, and so forth and so on. In other words, a hundredfold means a hundred times as much. Now when Mark says that we will receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brethren, I don't believe he meant literally receive houses, brethren, and wives because I have one wife. I don't need a hundred more times. And you wives, you only have one husband, and I'm sure you don't want a hundred more husbands. But what he meant was we will receive the equivalent of the thing that we've lost or given up. A hundred times more. So, Jesus is saying this, that the earthly joys, the rewards, now in this time, will far outweigh the sacrifices that you make for the kingdom. Things that will compensate many times over to, for all the things that you and I have abandoned. That's why when you are afraid to give up something because you're afraid you're, not, you're going to lose it or you're not going to get nothing in return, understand that that's not how God, the kingdom of God works. If you abandon or if you give up or you surrender everything for the sake of the kingdom or for the sake of Jesus, he will compensate whatever it is that you lost a hundred times more. When I got a hold of this, it helped me to make a very important decision in my life because I struggled and I wrestled with God for a whole year knowing that I knew I had to get rid of the, knowing I had to let go of this particular thing. But because I was afraid that I was going to lose the thing forever. But when I finally got a hold of this, I said, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Now, when I did that, my thinking was, okay, again, this is where I'm leaning to my own understanding. I said, okay, if I do this, then, Lord, I know what you're going to do. You're going to do this, and you're going to take care of that, and you're going to get me back in this situation, so everything's going to be good. But God's grace worked with me, and his mercy worked with me, because that's a, that was not part of God's plan, because what God had was far better than what I imagined. He gave me 100 times more than what I expected, or what I even asked for. But because I was willing to take that step of faith and surrender to God everything that he'd been trying to wrestle with me for, for a whole year, and I was able to let it go and say, now I can work. Now I can begin. And you know what? It didn't take long to work. Let me be more specific. When you're involved in a relationship that you know you shouldn't be in, and you're emotionally involved, physically involved, it's very hard to separate from that relationship because you've invested a lot into that. 
But when you know it's not of God, you know that you have to make a choice. You know you have to make a decision. And this is where so many of us fall short. Where we realize, okay, but he's the only man for my life. He loves me. He cares about me. He listens to me. How can I give that up? But don't you understand that God can do a lot better than that? God can do a whole lot better than that. <laughs> Pastor Ray can testify to that. Steve can too. But see, that's where I was. And when it was hard for me to get out of this relationship because I couldn't imagine me with anybody else. Now I'm being vulnerable here. But when I realized that this was not of God, and when I read this verse, I said, okay, Lord, I don't want a hundred wives, I just want one. <laughs> when I made that choice, man, I'll tell you, as I said, when I said God gave me a hundred times more, there it is right there. There it is right there. <laughs> so when I say God can do better, God can do better. But you've got to be willing to surrender. Because you never, he'll never leave you shortchanged. He'll never leave you high and dry. Because he's got so much better for you. If you learn to trust him. If you learn that Jesus is the only true treasure, that's all you need. Because he's everything. But you've got to give him a chance. You've got to let him in. You've got to let go. He says, Lord, listen, everything I own is yours. There are some of you here tonight that God is requiring something of you. And you're afraid to let it go. You know who you are. And I'm sure you've been wrestling with God for quite a while. But let me encourage you tonight. Let it go. Trust him. Believe that God has something far better. Because if you do, you're telling God, Lord, I'm honoring you and I'm trusting you with everything in my life. And I know that you're going to give me a hundred times more and compensate for everything I've lost for your kingdom, for your glory. For each person, the sacrifice may be different. But whatever that sacrifice you have to, that God is requiring of you, make that sacrifice. Don't wrestle anymore. Don't waste any more times, any more days, weeks, or years because you're preventing God from, you're withholding the blessing that God has for you. Let him know that he's the only one that matters. And then when you make that choice, I guarantee you, and I'm telling you, before God, I'm a living testament to this because I had to learn this from my own personal experience and I've seen God work and move in miraculous ways and keeping his promise in that particular verse. God will always see you through. God will take care of you if you trust him. Let it go. Going back to this verse, Jesus says, and everyone who has left houses and brethren. I love the word everyone, because he wasn't referring just to the disciples. He says everyone, everyone has, can gain access to this promise. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, I'll close with this. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, 
nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Over to God. You just don't know what God has for you. He may not show it to you, but you know what? He's waiting for you to trust him. Surrendering to God helps us to let go of whatever that's been holding us back from God's best for our lives. So I just want you to understand that God always gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. And when you leave the choice with him, you give him like a blank check to do as he pleases in our lives. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word, Father God. Thank you, Lord God, that we're coming to a place in our lives that we surrender everything to you, Lord God. Our finances, our families, our careers, our plans, our dreams. Father God, no more from this day forward, Father God, no more plans unless I consult with you. Father, I'm willing to trust you with my life. Father, I'm willing to trust you with everything I have, everything I own, because none of it is mine but yours. I belong to you. I'm under new ownership. And Lord, I thank you, Father God, that I believe the choice to you to do as you please in my life. Father, we thank you, Lord, tonight for speaking forth your word and encouraging, challenging us, Father God, and blessing us tonight. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that you spoke to everyone here, spoken into their hearts, showed them where they need to be, showed them what they need to do. Lord, I thank you for clarity tonight. I thank you for understanding. I thank you, Father God, for bringing us to a place to get us back into your program. Father, we thank you. Father, we give you all the glory and all the praise that you so deserve. We love you. We thank you for what you're about to do in their lives. Even now as we speak, Father God, as I'm praying, you're doing a work already in their lives. You're already doing work in their hearts. And Lord, I thank you for loosening the grips that they may let go and let you come in and take over. So Father, I thank you for relieving us, releasing us, delivering us, and taking us back into your program. And Lord, for this we thank you. And we give you all glory and honor and all praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.